so how many times have you listened to the new record? Oh my gosh, a load, loads. I mean, I've, I listened to it on the way home from work on Friday. I listened to it when I came home, and I listened to it a bit this morning. Oh, I danced with it this morning. <laughs> with the you know what was funny? Yesterday, I had the worst commute into work ever. Like, I made poor decisions, and the the train was really slow, and the bus, the, the, my connection was really slow. But the one thing that was carrying me through it was I was like, well, you know what? If there's one day where I want to take my time into work, it's this morning and I can just be with this record. Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada. You are listening to episode 188 of the Matinee Cast. It's the movie-loving podcast of my movie-loving website, thematinee.ca. Your home for cinematic passion and perspective. Some time ago, there was a little side project that went along with the Matinee Cast called the Film Locker, where I would talk across a wire to the United Kingdom uh, several times uh, a day, actually, and we spaced them out over many weeks in the summer and discussed the great auteurs that are uh, dotting the cinematic universe. And I gotta be honest, folks, I miss that. I miss this, this great little concentrated dose of a project that I did with a really good friend of mine. However, there was reprieve uh, just one year ago where my co-host actually came to town joined me here in the uh, cinema mecca of Toronto Canada and I got to raise a glass and hang out with him and it was a wonderful thing because after years and years of only knowing him as this uh, um, disconnected voice over the internet I was finally able to break bread and look this man in the eye and it was a it was a great time so with that of course Time comes to get him back on the show, and that that brings us to today. So we're across the wire to London, England, where we have one of the co-hosts of Culture Fly on the Wall, and of course the proprietor of Screen Insight. Simon Collum is back on the show. How are you, mate? I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, just uh, enjoying the kind of cold weather of uh, December. On episode 188, we will be discussing Lady Bird. We'll be flipping the record over to play the other side. But first, we need to learn more about Simon. This is Know Your Enemy. Simon first appeared on Matinee Cast number 9, where we discussed The Green Zone. We learned that the first film he'd ever seen in the theater was The Page Master. The last film he'd watched at the time was Cadulthood. The worst film he'd ever seen was Bad Boys. And his unseen classic or essential was what he called 80s pop culture. So Dirty Dancing, Pretty in Pink, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. He's made a lot of headway in those yeah. kinds of titles since then. The film he wished he made to no surprise, was Jurassic Park. Next, he appeared on episode 49. That was a year-in-review show for 2011, where we talked about how our favorite films were titles like Tintin and The Muppets and Hugo. We learned that the film he digs that nobody else likes are the second two-thirds of the Matrix trilogy, Matrix Revolutions, Matrix Reloaded. Or reverse that, if you want to get them in order. Um, The film everybody else likes that he does not is Driving Miss Daisy. The last film to make him cry was The King's Speech. In the movie of his life, he'd be played by Ryan Phillippe. And the film he was watching next was Mission Impossible 2. Then, on episode 132, where we discussed The Kingsman Secret Service. Did you watch the sequel? I I skipped the sequel. No, no. I mean, in all honesty, I mean, there was a time when I could just 
find the time to see the, go to the cinema very easily. Now I have to really pick my films quite carefully. I yeah. mean, I haven't seen Justice League. I haven't seen Kingsman, but, you know, you know my feeling on Kingsman. Of course. And, and to be perfectly honest. <laughs> I am not surprised. Epically failed. And so many people <laughs> said it was an absolute travesty. If anything, only supports my criticism of the, of the, of the first very film. Very good to know. We learned the film that made his love of film turn a corner was Shoah, which Simon has actually gifted me the entire miniseries and i still haven't watched it yet oh travesty it's pulled aside i I will watch soon i will watch it very soon his first date (laughs) movie with his wife and the mother of their daughter uh sarah meadows uh, sarah meadows column excuse me um was collateral the tom cruise movie uh from michael mann his sick day movie is the dark knight the last film to leave him speechless was whiplash and his epitaph would be made it ma top of the world Time for round four. Simon, what is the film you really dig, but you never really want to watch again? In the first one which comes to mind, and I think uh, that whole thing about can you rate a, like when you think about your favorite a film which is like rated five stars, really, really good, but you you know, but you don't want to watch it again. It always feels like a conflict, like that should be a part of it. But I always think of A Prophet, and Ooh. that was a, a film from years ago which I remember seeing and thinking it was great, but I've never really had the need to watch it uh, again. And I never really wanted to watch it again. So I'm never sure if that was, uh, if that was right, or if that says it maybe wasn't as good as I thought, because I'm not desperate to revisit it. But I feel like I remember feeling really good about it. And like, I don't know, but I, I suspect the point of the question is about a film, which you don't want to watch again because it's so graphic or so horrific or so dark. And, um, for that, I think is just 12 years of slave at the moment. Um, that's means I bought it. I want to watch it again, but I, I just can't bring myself. It's just so, so difficult to watch. I mean, you've got there two very different films and, and, and two very yeah. good answers, by the way. A Prophet, I remember being... I haven't revisited it since I first saw it either. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, that filmmaker makes some really intense stories. Like, that's the same gent who made Rust and Bone, the same man who made uh, Dupont, if you want to talk about a movie oh, yeah. I think would probably be one of my answers. Um, yeah. that are all really beautiful and really, really engaging, but yeah. are, are kind of one-time stops on your on your cinematic voyage. But I think there's a, there's a certain film, there was a, a single man for a long time was a film which I remember seeing at cinema and loving to the point that I bought it very early on when it was released on DVD or Blu-ray, and then it took me a, like at least a few years before I actually sat down and rewatched it. And when I rewatched it, I was like, God, it's, it's a brilliant film. And I feel like maybe that's what would happen if I watched a prophet again, Maybe, but I don't really know why I haven't gone back to it. So, you know, see, but it's my, interesting my... that you bring up a single man. Cause that actually leads me to what I was going to say about 12 years of slave is that at the very least, those are films that are visually stunning. So even if I can, yeah. you know, emotionally detach, from those movies, whether it's be, you know, doing other things while I'm watching or, or, or something to that effect, I can at least, you know, watch them with the appreciation of the imagery. Whereas yeah. a movie like a prophet, because it's, it's shot so, um, you know, humbly, um, but still, you know, in a really, really affecting way, I, I can't, I'd, I'd have a harder time going back there and throwing that on for kicks. Naturally with, with having subtitles, you kind of to know what's going on uh, verbally yeah. you have to be looking at the screen and that you know that's difficult to have on the background especially yeah you're describing the entire foreign section of my blu-ray shelf there you go they, they, get, they get watched the least because i have to really pay attention 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, although sometimes it's just nice to throw on something Italian because then I can hear people speaking in Italian over in the corner. Oh, my. Yeah, lovely. Exactly. Lo- yeah. Um, what is a film that genuinely freaked you out? The, fir- the, ver- the one I think about is Saw. Um, really? It's a weird one because I, 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 I ultimately then went, I did enjoy the annual retreat of going to watch the new new saw film but the the first saw film i remember sitting in the cinema like look like peeking through my hands and thinking to myself th- th- could this damage me this could this really affect <laughs> me in a really bad way and i'm just sitting here letting it happen i i just didn't know i remember that feeling crossing my mind i was only like 20 i think at the time um, but I remember feeling that and thinking, oh, my God, you know, I think I'm not that big about horror films. So I think in that respect, that's probably a part of it. But that'll do it. That, yeah. Being damaged in that way is uh, or feeling or being worried that that was going to that's going to happen is definitely a rare occasion. It's funny the, what you're what you're describing. I'm envisioning that scene in A Clockwork Orange where he's like forced to watch things that he doesn't want to watch. Um, yep. Saw is an interesting one because obviously with my, um, you know, kind of broken relationship with horror films, I came to that movie very late. Uh, yeah. I, I, I actually came to the first Saw movie at least six movies in. Uh, you know, it, like the whole first trilogy, and, and I believe the second trilogy had gone by before I even got to Saw Part 1. Um, okay. And of course, just to really lessen the impact that little bit more, I watched it at home. Yeah. But it's... I mean, that was kind of the granddaddy of, you know, what's now called torture porn, right? That that, that whole yeah. idea of somebody getting abducted and having to work their way through these uh, booby traps. That was that was that was all saw. So I, I can actually really understand that because you wouldn't have had any kind of experience with something like that before. Yeah, no, I hadn't, and I and I hadn't, and I I like the concept of it, and I like the thrill of kind of oh, what's going to happen with these kind of, you know, what would I do in these situations type of plots. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, there was just a sense of the idea of these this guy sawing his leg off and stuff. I was just like trying to think about it mentally, like is this 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 might be really bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the one. Conversely, what is a movie that always makes you laugh? I always think of uh, High Fidelity. <laughs> And it's and it's not and it's not like you know airplane or uh, you know holy grail or something like that. Um, but it, it, it's a film which I've watched a fair few times, and I really love. There's something about the John Cusack character that I really appreciate, and I get you know the idea of listing things. I'm sure we all know of the joy of listing your favourite films. I mean that's that's the same type of thing. But I know there's scenes in it which just tear me up. There's that Tim Robbins scene in particular um, <laughs> when it kind of plays out these different scenarios and I'm, I'm just in hysterics. I just can't, I just love that film. It's it's so just, I, I just love it. And it's, yeah, it's great. <laughs> I mean, I think about that film and what always makes me laugh and it's usually, it's usually Jack Black. Oh yeah, yeah. Like yeah he's that, that, you know that that was the moment that he really burst onto the scene for for a lot of people, um, in, in full Jack Blackie goodness. Um, and and yeah, I, that is a movie that will usually have a moment or two uh, that makes me laugh. I, I the one that gets me all the time is when he's talking to his mom on the phone and um, <laughs> you know telling him that he's broken up with Laura and he's like, "Shut up, mom!" and he hangs up. And he's like, <laughs> That's some cold shit. That always gets me. 
but I think I think you just relate to him. You just get I do. this guy. Yeah, uh, I do. Um, I you know I'm, I'm, I we did a whole episode a few years ago on my birthday um, relating to high fidelity. So I'll put an I'll put that in the show notes. If anybody wants to hear my thoughts on high fidelity in depth, do go there. But it's funny. I've had I've had a changing relationship with high fidelity as I've grown older. I've realized more and more that Rob Gordon is such an ass. And I didn't really <laughs> think about that when I first saw that movie at age 22. But I think we I think we all know that, especially recently. Men generally are our asses, yes. uh, it turns out. And uh, it's something that we need to learn not to be. Uh, yes, so yes. And I think in that respect, you watch something like High Fidelity and you relate to Rob Gordon. And you, think, you think to yourself, yeah, I'm okay. He's an ass, but I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same. It's why. It's why when you watch Woody Allen's films and you see all those characters, and you're like, I get what they're thinking, but they're actually following through with it, and that's the weird thing. That's yeah. the detachment where you're like, what, you know? But yeah. you know, the, the, the as heinous as all these guys are, we we do know guys are can be uh, asses. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Okay, keeping in mind that this is usually an 80-minute show, Simon Collum, what is your favorite film soundtrack? Okay, so the two... I've got two, sorry. <laughs> of course you do. And I, I, wa- I, be I actually like, applaud you for only keeping it to two. Uh, I want to be like a bit like, oh, I, I like uh, Korzeniowski or, you know, some, you know, ob- obscure um, composer, but I'm not going to lie. I've gone with John Williams. Um, and Jurassic Park and okay. the reason why Jurassic Park comes up because there was a time which Ryan you'll understand but some of your listeners may not um, there was a time when you couldn't just buy what you wanted when you wanted it if you wanted the Jurassic Park soundtrack and it wasn't at your local shop you didn't have it you'd have to find it at another shop somewhere if you were lucky and um, I really like Jurassic Park and I like I like the soundtrack quite late after the release I couldn't find it anywhere I was really gutted about this i never never found a way to buy it or if i did see it it must have been really expensive because again they could do that because you couldn't just go online and buy it um because there was no internet this is the point i'm making guys uh, <laughs> but then when i was at university and ebay came out that was the first thing i found a way i was like great now i can get Jurassic park on the cd i bought it and it was as satisfying as i'd hoped every single track is just brilliant and there's so many subtly different themes that you pick up on i mean we know the da, na, 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 of course yeah but there's also the uh, there's another theme which is obviously a really key theme in the film but there's lots of other subtle ones and it's just wonderful when you listen when you know a film as well as i i know with that film and then you listen to the soundtrack and pinpoint all those different melodies and the different way they play and then they merge in with each other and they work with each other there's something just absolutely incredible about that I'm gonna, have to, um, I'm gonna have to dig into that one because I, I I know some of the themes and the sub themes, but I I don't really know like you said like some of the movements that come in like there's there's probably character specific movements right like I'd wager Hammond yeah. has a theme and and that kind of thing. Um, no, not like that. Just you know, I it's you know when you think about you know when they first get to the island yeah and uh, they, they first land and you have the big fanfare the big Jurassic Park theme. And then you have that kind of sprightly kind of, and then it has a whole different melody. And it's just a completely different melody. You know what I mean? It's nothing to do with the other one. And it's like, wow, there's another, there's another song. There's another song. It's not <laughs> the same thing again and again. And it's just, and, and those things are just lovely, you know? And what's your other soundtrack? 
Um, the other one I was going to say was Hannibal because that I think I think that was my first soundtrack, and I've always really really loved it. I think it's Hans Zimmer, um, but all, there's a particular track in it which is kind of choral. It uses uh, choir. It's just gorgeous. I remember I had the CD and my old CD player on my side when I first went to Florence, walking oh, wow. around Florence, listening to the the Hannibal soundtrack, and I was just like, oh, this is what a score and uh, you know e- even the later track the avarice the strings the use of that is just wonderful um good choices both uh you know hannibal is certainly one i wouldn't expect jurassic park i probably could have named um <laughs> uh, you know and 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 to the surprise of no one they're both uh, they're both scores they're not soundtracks with uh you know mixtape variety uh yeah. if you didn't know that that was coming meet simon column uh <laughs> finally what is the film you love but nobody else has really heard of I'm going to name name one which I, I saw somewhat recently. Um, Hot Docs had a London contingent this year, which I managed to watch a few films from. Awesome! Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just a small weekend, so you know that it wasn't long. So you might have seen this one yourself, actually, Ryan. But um, I, I, I doubt many people have heard of it. But I really enjoyed it um, as an art teacher, in particular. Uh, it was a film called Blurred Lines Inside the Art World. Uh, did, did you watch it? No. Okay, so it's just it's just a documentary about the art world, really. But what's great about it? First off, it, it kind of uses contemporary art constantly to kind of show, obviously, examples of, of what we're talking about, like, and that's kind of great visually, just to see, just to see art in such a way, and in a world where people, for better or worse put so much so much value on it you know that's kind of cool i mean i like when art is put on on that pedestal too often it's not um but then again um it kind of goes into the how corrupt the art world is and that's interesting because because it's only rich people buying things off other rich people and it's all just lots of money um there's not really any control over it you know um and, and reality is that a lot of it happens behind closed doors. The only time you see how much something is worth is at an auction, generally, you know. Um, and of course, the, the the starting point of the documentary is Damien Hirst's kind of uh, you know groundbreaking auction, only days after the 2008 crash, where he t- took personally over a hundred million dollars at a Sotheby's. Wow. Um, you know, it's it's just it kind of boggles the mind the type of money that we're dealing with. But people do it. People pay it. And the fact that somebody has the job of saying this artist is now a big deal is crazy. Uh, Larry Gagosian, who has galleries all over the world in New York and London, I think it's three in London. Uh, he, If he picks you up as an artist, if he takes you on, I mean, you're made. You know, one of the examples they said was how if you're you know, if you're if he wants to fly you to the Venice Biennale, he can just do that. You right. know, he's got a private jet. He can just do that. No other art person has that. But because Gagosian is so big, he can kind of he's the agency. He's the valuer. He's the gallery. He's everything. So it's there's a whole monopoly onto it. See what I'm what you're describing and what I really like is we're at this wonderful point over the last 10 12 years with documentary where uh two things where the the quality of the filmmaking has really really lifted and the delivery devices have really spread themselves out so whereas before if you weren't home at seven o'clock on a friday night to watch you know bbc two and see 
blurred lines. You would never be able to find it in a, you know, you'd never be able to find it in a shop. You'd certainly almost never be able to find it in a theater. Um, but now that we're getting to this place where Netflix has really deep pockets of uh, nonfiction and your on-demand has a deep collection of nonfiction and there are specialty channels that that's all they show. I mean, hell, in Toronto, we have a theater that only that is dedicated to documentary these films that you know you may have missed or somebody may have heard of you have a chance now to actually track them down so you know in the past like 10 12 years ago if we had this conversation i would probably would have had a hard time finding blurred lines to watch myself by the time we put down this mic i can go track it down and, and check it out right away i really do like that about documentary now Yes, yeah. I mean, yeah, because it was. I mean, it was only at Hot Dogs this year, so I'm not sure how quick it is to get access to. But I, I really, I mean, I, I, I really want to watch it again. I do think it's one of those. It's sometimes you watch films and you just think, I wish I could put all that information in my head. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. Oh yeah. You know what oh, I mean? but over you and over, my friend. Oh, you know, it's great, it but it's just fascinating to see that side of the art world. You know. Nice. Well, that's more about Simon. We'll learn even more when he comes back next time. Hopefully it won't take me two years to get him back on the show. But for now, (laughs) it is time to get on to the new slang. The new slang for episode 188 is Lady Bird coming up right after this. Sweet like under to my soul. Sweet you rock sweet you roll. Lost for you, I'm so lost for you. When you come crash into me, and I come into Lady Bird is written and directed by Greta Gerwig. It stars Saoirse Ronan, Laurie Metcalf, Tracy Letts, and Lucas Hedges. It's set in 2002 in Sacramento, California introducing us to Christine Ladybird McPherson. That's Saoirse Ronan. She is born with the name Christine, but she gives herself the name Ladybird. Yes, she's just that kooky. She's a high school senior at a Catholic school, and she has a strained relationship with her parents, um, but a good relationship with her best friend, and she's basically struggling to figure out where she fits in in the world. The film follows her relationships with her friends and boys that she likes as she tries to figure out what the next step will be in terms of college. She would like to get away from the sleepy little town of Sacramento, California. Her mom, who is played by Laurie Metcalf, her name is Marion, she really wants her to stay close by and kind of wants her to lower the bar in terms of life expectations. Uh, of course, there is some tension between the two, and Lady Bird goes through all kinds of growing and uh, coming of age as she meets other girls and other boys and other teachers, um, and hilarity ensues. Around the time I saw this film, I began to see reactions filtering through. Uh, this was a film that I meant to see at TIFF, but just couldn't make it in work. And I do regret that because at the film festival, a lot of people uh, were talking about how amazing this movie was and how I really needed to track it down. And it was one that was even in the conversation as to a possibility of what might win people's choice. But one reaction that filtered through was my guest today, Simon's Columns. He talked about coming up Catholic and how that uh, 
he identified with that and coming of age at the turn of the century and how that tapped a nerve for him as well. However, when I looked at that reaction and I thought a little bit about it, I thought maybe he was looking at it from a different side than he may have now. So since, since I have you in the hot seat, pop quiz hot shot. When you watched Lady Bird, as since you are a teacher, did you see yourself or did you see your students? Oh, I saw myself. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 I mean, it's very much a teenage girl story. So I guess I don't relate so much. <laughs> so to that's, that. Clearly you saw yourself. Um, <laughs> but, it, 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 but it was more because, I mean, I think Lucas Hedges' character, um, you know, I think he was, because he, he was in the theater scene and stuff. I think that was, he was an interesting character who I could kind of relate to to some extent. Despite, you know, I mean, I, you know, I'm not gay, but I get, get the, I knew people who were at the time and cause I was in theater, you know, and all that kind of thing. So I, I guess I got that, but yeah, it was just so many things. I was like, wow, like my mum's a nurse as well. Um, oh, right. so the Catholicism and the turn of the century 2002 and like, and I was in theater, um, at that point, I stopped doing theater at the, at the age of 18. Uh, when I went to university, but for the two, three years before it, that period when I was 17, I was doing theatre and I was, you know, I was very much a part of it. I, you know, I wasn't, I'd, do, I'd have, a, you know, without blowing my own trumpet, I did a few lead roles. Um, so, you know, I was very much in it, you know, and so watching this kind of thing play out, there was a lot of things I, I was just like, yeah, no, I get this. So this film could have been called Simon Column as a Wee Girl. <laughs> Maybe, maybe. <laughs> this Ronan's of course is Irish as well, so and I'm Irish, so the teacher in you didn't see anything of your students in what she's going through. No, to be honest, I I, I haven't taught um, seventeen, eighteen year olds for about four years. Okay. That, the age range I teach up to, I, I used to teach up to eighteen um, for about six, seven years, uh, but for the last four years I've been teaching from about mm, seven to about thirteen. And okay, so I'll, I'll, I can't answer my own question because I did not see myself in this movie. I, I identified with several things about it. I identified with, um, you know, uh, kind of that. The, this movie has what I call kind of a peaceful struggle between the parents and the the children. Like it's not it's not volatile. And I think, like, don't get me wrong, there are a lot of teenage parent relationships that are really, really. Um, complicated and really, really um, bordering on, you know, violent. This is a little bit more passive aggressive. I think this is a little bit more true to what a lot of parents go through and what a lot of teenagers go through. So I did, I saw my, my former self in that for sure. Um, and, and, and yeah, I was raised Catholic as well. So I saw a little bit of that. I didn't go to Catholic school. That was the big difference. Although I did go to an art school. So the whole end of performing and auditions and, and like you said, that part I saw myself in, but I, I didn't quite see myself as much in the movie. So that's why I was, uh, quite anxious to get you on this show. Obviously, um, with all of that, uh, your, your overall reaction is you really did like this movie. Oh, I really, really did. It's, uh, to be honest, <laughs> I think the first, it's one of those funny things when you've, again, what we were talking about earlier about uh, music and the first watch, I think the first watch I was just kind of like, I love this. I, I kind of wasn't <laughs> laughing as much as I thought I should be because I was just like, I really, I really like this. And I, that was kind of just the feeling. You, do you know what I mean? It kind yeah. of was so, it was so overpowering. It didn't really... I wasn't necessarily swept up in, oh, I'm laughing and all that kind of stuff. Because there's a lot of jokes. And I, I, when I watched it at the London Film Festival, it was the secret screening. So you don't know what it oh, is until it's on. Okay. 
um and it was you know and so everybody was like laughing because it was full house and i i wasn't like laughing as loud maybe uh, you know you know i was I, I was on my own as well so maybe that was a part of it but you know i suspect the more i'm going to watch it and i'm really looking forward to showing it to my wife showing it to friends um it's not released in the uk till february frustratingly oh, wow. enough but um you know i cannot wait to watch it again and i just it, you know I, I, you just know it it just flows so smoothly everything seems so real and honest and just screams integrity and that relationship of mother and daughter at the center of it is just again it's just beautifully how it beautiful how it's handled you know you know what one of the things i really enjoyed about it um was its portrayal and and to be clear i loved it as well and what one of the things i really clung to was the way when we're teenagers we move from relationship to relationship and not just love but we move like from table to table in the cafeteria or from click to click as as we go along and it's 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 strange because on the one hand that can be hurtful if you're the person who all of a sudden your friend doesn't hang out with you anymore that it's 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 like you've been broken up with um and we don't see that very often in movies you know you might see friends and they have a falling out but that's that you don't watch a person move around through social circles and try and find where they fit best and that that this movie really that that's one of the things that really takes a lot of time to explore well, it, you're right you're absolutely right and i think the story ultimately is so it's so small scale when you think about it it's not really you know this when you think about the stakes you know what yeah. i mean it, it's they're not, you know, there's no life or death situation here. You know what I mean? No, no. Just being a teenager. Uh, but <laughs> reality is, is that the way it's told, the way uh, Saoirse Ronan delivers the performance, uh, the way the the whole, the conversations play out is that it is important and you feel the importance of it. And that moment in her life is important. And even though when you step aside and you were talking, you could be very cynical. I mean, it's just a teenage film. And it's, it's, but it's not, is it? And we know that because we know that when we were teenagers, everything meant everything. You know, if that person left a kiss at the end of that text message, that was a big deal. <laughs> When I, when I was a teenager, we didn't have text messages, but thank you for making me feel old. Um, we, we had nice chunky phones. You know, I'm just sure. Text, just text. Uh, um, there were little XOs at the bottom of the note that you got passed. Um, that, that's that's that was that was the text emoji when I was younger. Uh, you, little you, XOs you, you, you on the bottom of a page of loosely. I don't know about you, but you you'd think carefully about if you'd done L U V or L O V E. Ah, this is true. Oh, this is very true. Yes. big deal. A you big know, deal. If it was one or the other. It's it's funny. We're talking about this movie and how much we appreciate this movie and how much we love this movie but at the end of the day what we're talking about is a character who at this point in her life is not all that likable she's kind of pretentious she treats a lot of people very badly and i i, I think that might be the achievement of the film is the way it really makes you care about somebody who is is you know does some questionable things did you notice that um, <laughs> Yeah, but I, do you know what? I when I think I went the problem for me is when I think when I was a teenager, I was I was horrid. Well, no, not horrid, <laughs> horrid. Horrid is too far, but I, you know there were definitely aspects of my personality. Put it this way, um, I, I thought I was a quote unquote nice guy, you oh, know. God. And now I've read a lot about what that means and what that probably meant about me, and uh, I'm not so impressed with myself. But do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. When I think back to myself at that time, I, I don't think I was as together as i thought i was you know but that, um, I, I guess so that, i got it 
that that begs the question is how Greta Gerwig pulled that off in terms of mm-hmm. writing and directing somebody mm-hmm. who, you know, is normal and is flawed, but is not the kind of person that you would necessarily think, yeah, we need to make a movie about her. But then I think this is what makes this is what we have a exciting time here where films I feel are being made, which weren't necessarily made before. We haven't seen this person before, uh, you know, maybe uh, when we'll may talk about it later in Edge of Seventeen last year. But generally speaking, we haven't seen this kind of spotty kind of rude, obnoxious, this kind of working class, fan, this kind of person really uh very often before and so it feels fresh but in reality it's we know it we it's it's always been there hasn't it so it's i don't i think it feels like it's fresh but actually it's just tapping into the the brutal truth do you of think, being a teenager do you think we're getting blinded by shersha ronan because do you think we're looking at her and we're seeing you know the girl from brooklyn and the girl from the grand budapest hotel and that's why we see past the you know general awfulness of her character i don't think so i think to you know i mean that opening scene lays out for you the type of person she is you know what i mean <laughs> she is not she's not going to take any uh you know anything from anybody <laughs> you, you think that actually in, in fact we're seeing the spoiled brat from atonement just all grown uh, up i wouldn't say that either but you know I, yeah I, I get what you're saying yeah um, how much, you know, we, we, we've been talking about, uh, Shersha Ronan and, and talking about Lady Bird quite a bit. We need to talk about the parents in this movie. We need to talk, first of all, we need to talk about Laurie Metcalf in this movie because here is an incredibly talented actor doing a role that's, that's not that showy, but is really complex. And I think she really, really paints it very, very well. What did you, was there something about, um, her performances, Marion, that really hit you? Because you were saying, like, you know, you were seeing her, you were seeing your mom in her in terms of the fact that she's a nurse and, a, and you know, raising the daughter Catholic. What was what was it about her performance that rung for you? I think I think the, the, the parallels kind of stop with those two things. Yeah, oh, okay. I, I, you know, I, funnily enough, I think um, when I think about it, I, I remember seeing my mom come home from work in, in a similar looking uniform. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, th- and we did have and different, you know, those type of the working hours, obviously, of a nurse is all over the place as well. You get a sense of that. Um, uh, but, I, you know, and I, but yeah, I mean, I think what was I think what Laurie Metcalf brings to the role, it's kind of it's so subtle, but works. It's not it's not very showy or in your face. It's just something very real. I don't know how I can't put my finger on it, but it was just such a great, really perfect performance. She has a mastery of the human reaction. Like I'm thinking again in the trailer, there's the scene where they're in that thrift shop and she's trying on dresses and lady bird says, what if the, this is the best version of me? And Marion just kind of cocks her head, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a wordlessly, it's a wordlessly way of saying, Really? But not actually saying really. And there's that. There's a moment when they're in the bathroom and um, Lady Bird reveals that she is sexually active and her mom has to internalize some freaking out and be responsible and be supportive, but also be a parent. Laurie Metcalf is incredible at the way she can use physical subtlety in her performance and speak volumes while still not overplaying any of this. Like, this is a character that almost begs to be hammed up. And Laurie Metcalf mm. finds ways of of taking all of that, you know, grandness of the performance and putting it into very, very subtle words and gestures. 
Yeah, and you you know, and you can imagine you were saying about how uh, Ladybird is kind of this um, how she's a she's a difficult character to like. Yeah. If if Laurie Metcalf played that mother slightly wrong, slightly off. Oh yeah. You might find her really difficult to like, but actually, she's kind of you. You get her. You know what I mean? You know, she's not too, she's not, when she does say what she needs to say, you, you, you don't, you may agree with her. You may, may not, you know, but either way, there's something which you, you, you understand you, you, and you kind of appreciate what, what she's doing and what she's trying to do and that, and you believe that she loves this girl with all her heart, despite how she winds her up so much. Yeah. And that's, and that's a difficult thing to do when, the, when effectively the, the film is about the two not getting along. Mm-hmm. You know, you could very easily get the impression that the mum really just doesn't want her around. When in reality, I think you can see that she does love her to bits, but she just drives her up the wall. I mean, you know? that, that's the kind of thing you're go- you are going to see when you go back and revisit it with everybody is you're going to be looking at it saying, you know, here's a relationship and I know the mom loves her to death and I know her mom is going to be really hard on her and you're going to look for all those signs where she's restraining and she's trying to be a compass for her daughter and yet is at the same time frustrated. You're going to pick up all those subtleties in the rewatches. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, and then in the other corner, we've got her father played by Tracy Letts, who we don't see on screen very often. He's he's a playwright, Um, Larry. Um, His role is also really complicated for a really simple film because he's in between mother and daughter. Um, he's out of work for the entire film. So we have to watch, you know, a father of two young adults internalize a lot of his stress and depression. That was an incredible inclusion in this movie, I think. And, but yeah, but again, it goes back to that kind of like people suffer from depression, you know, like you yeah, sometimes it can be mom, sometimes it can be dad, but here it is. This oh. is the type of, here it is playing out. But we weren't talking it. about that up until very recently. Like, I, there no. are going to be volumes yeah. and volumes written on people throughout mm-hmm. history who were suffering from various levels of depression, and we just had no idea. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. And and it's something which, is, again, I think, you know, like you said, it, you know, it is new. It is Well, it's not new, is it? But it's something that people are talking about more. And I think this is the thing, is that this is what makes Lady Bird so impressive, is that it's the first time we or it feels like it's the first time we're really talking about these things or even and not in a way that it's like here is a film about depression or here is a film about a teenager going through this it's about all of them in the and just handled so sensitively that it just it just feels like you're just seeing this period of this girl's life and it's just it's just wonderfully done i mean the thing that i'm thinking about now is it's actually a really wonderfully subtle uh, take on masculinity when, when you look at that father and, and what he needs to be and what mm. he's trying to be of of you know Greta Gerwig in her script saying you know this is what a man is you know a man is not always going to be an alpha a man will have moments of weakness a man mm. finds a way to get through it you know and, and not and, and not be afraid to wear the weakness Mm. You know, it's these, it's it's, yeah. it's one of those like it's all of these things are baked into what is essentially a very simple movie. And these are things which, again, is, you know, by putting them in the film, you know, um, you, you wouldn't know like this family. You wouldn't know these things from families. You know, this no. might be this might have been what was going on with that girl who was a bit annoying at your school. 
you know, when you were younger. (laughs) But you just never knew. And so when you watch this, not only are you watching it to go, oh, yeah, I relate to that little, that loving someone and falling out of love with them and da-da-da-da-da. But you're also, you hopefully people will take away, hopefully 17-year-olds will look at it and take away, hey, you know, this is, maybe that's what's going on. There's more to people uh, than just what you see in those snapshots, and that's good to see. Now, the one thing I do want to get to before we get out of this is there's been talk outside of this movie about how beloved it has become. There's there's the story that it has now set a new record of getting the most reviews on Rotten Tomatoes and still holding a ranking of 100%, um, which, let us be clear, that does not mean that everybody loves the movie. That just means that everybody likes the movie. Everybody came away from that movie and said, yes, that is a good movie. And that leads me to ask, do we all love this or like like because as this movie grows in its exposure, it, the hype on this thing is going to become a killer. Do we really love this or do we think it's nice? I definitely really love this. I think uh, so in that respect, yes, but I do think it is interesting cuz for a quote-unquote teenage film the idea of this sweeping awards seems very strange uh, without checking the data um i can't imagine even john hughes films were no. considered nope on such a pedestal nope um so in that respect that seems potentially a bit odd and arguably the subject matter is not grand enough for the oscars you could argue but strangely enough it will. It seems like it's going that direction, doesn't it? I mean, usually when a movie gets this kind of a, a movie of workaday life gets this kind of attention, it's something like American Beauty or Ordinary People or Kramer versus Kramer, where the focus is yeah. more on the parents. It's new. It's not usually when the focus is more on the daughter. Um, so it's it's very very unusual that it that a film about a 17 turning into 18 year old girl gets this kind of acclaim and again again where the stakes aren't particularly high yeah yeah Yeah, exactly there's no you know uh, without spoiling people there's no risk of suicide in this movie um there's no you know great big uh crisis like family crisis that happens there there are you know there are some things late in the movie that uh you know do make you concerned for lady bird and her well-being but you all it's it's handled in a way that makes you think okay this is all this will probably be all right it's not it's not what i would this, call this a is dark what you movie. This, this could be happening down your street absolutely you know what i mean yeah. and you would never know so in that respect it's a you know arguably a very everyday story you yeah. know what i mean so i think um, that like that's kind of one of the things i do worry about is I, I do worry that the hype on this movie is gonna become too much listen i think it's i think it is really good if somebody came away from this movie or they thought it was overhyped uh, I could certainly come away, have somebody coming away from somebody saying, what's the big deal? I, I could understand that. What I can't understand, and this is kind of where the Rotten Tomatoes thing comes in, is I can't understand somebody coming away from this movie and saying, I did not like that. I think it's a film that a lot of people will like and a few people will love, but we need to understand what we're getting into here. In terms of it being groundbreaking. Yeah. Is it groundbreaking? And if that's the case... Is that not what is being acknowledged here? Yes, it's we all like the film, yes, but is there something about it which will change films 
for the future. I think and what may... I think there is a little bit of that. What, what may do that is it's groundbreaking in the way that it's it's entirely Greta Gerwig's baby. It is, you know, in, in, I can see her all over this movie. And there are several times where it's really clear that Saoirse Ronan is portraying young Greta Gerwig. She, Greta Gerwig has a way of moving and, a, and certainly a way of like screaming in frustration. And you see that all over this movie in the way that Saoirse Ronan portrays Lady Bird. Where I think it is groundbreaking in the way it's that a studio or a production company handed the keys to, to a first-time director and said, just go make your movie, you know, and, and came back with something this personal and this genuine. And I really hope that that is the ultimate takeaway from this movie, that more studios and more production companies hand young directors and young writers of uh, that 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 are telling a different story than being a you know cisgender born straight white male a chance to tell their story that is the groundbreaking part is that a, a company handed uh, Greta Gerwig the keys and she came back with something that's getting this much attention. Uh, we close out every review here on the Matinee Cast with a souvenir, something tangible or intangible that if you could take away from this movie and keep, you would. Um, Simon Cullum has been struggling to think of a souvenir for the entire movie, or sorry, for the entire review. Every time he sounded distracted, I can tell you, he's been thinking, what is my souvenir going to be? So time uh, to, to finally drop the curtain and uh, let us see the wizard. Simon Cullum, what is your souvenir from Greta Gerwig's Lady Bird. I think um, there's a particular scene which I'm thinking of, um, and it involves Lucas Hedges and Sisha yep. uh, Ronan. Um, I think it's outside the place where Sisha uh, Ronan works, mm-hmm. um, and Lucas Hedges comes to her to speak to her. And I won't uh, give anything else away. I guess. Do you know which scene I'm on I about? Do. I do. And uh, it's just such a well played scene. Just a really, really well-played scene, a really sensitively handled scene. There's something about what happens there and what Lady Bird decides to kind of how she supports him is just wonderful. Really, really great, uh, great scene. So what you're saying is like if that was if that was you in that moment, you would want that to be the way that that moment plays out for you. Well, yeah, I mean, for for either character, I just think that, you know, there's a moment where Lady Bird really grows um, and at the same time, for Lucas Hedges, that's a, that's just heartbreaking what's going on with him, too. Yeah. For my souvenir, without giving too very much away, there's a scene late in this movie where um, where, where letters are written and um, letters are given and letters are read into the soundtrack of the movie. And I, I, I want those letters. I, I adore um, handwritten notes and handwritten letters. Um, it's, it's one of those things that as time has gone on and we become more and more virtual and more and more, um, you know, communicating via ones and zeros, I have really clung to handwriting and pens and paper. So there, there's, there's a scene in this movie that involves letters and I'm just saying, I want, I want all the letters. This is what I want from this movie. That would be my souvenir for sure. Um, we rate here in a matinee cast on a scale of one to four stars. This is probably completely anticlimactic at this point. But Simon Collum, what do you give Greta Gerwig's Lady Bird? One star, mate. Yeah, of course. I could tell. <laughs> 
Full stop. Cool. Yeah, yeah, this, full you know what? This this really is a four star movie. This is one of the best movies of the year. I really hope people see it. I really hope people support it and continue its um, success and it, and its exposure. Um, and it and it's a you know it's a four star movie in a very different way that Dunkirk is a four star movie. Um, but it really shows how cinema can do so many different things. So that you can have two movies that are both incredible and are on two completely different scales but are both so very affecting hey listen maybe you are that one person out there who doesn't like ladybird or maybe you think that we didn't talk about some of the things that you really really identified with let me know ryan at matinee.ca twitter where i'm matinee underscore ca or facebook.com slash dark matinee what do you think of Greta Gerwig's ladybird we are going to take a quick break and come back with some more movies uh come on back after this uh short pause we'll flip the record over and play the other side We're back. He's Simon Collum. I'm Ryan McNeil. You're on Matinee Cast 188. We've been talking about Greta Gerwig's Lady Bird. It's time to uh, suggest some further reading, some other films that you might want to move on to for one reason or another after Lady Bird. Uh, Mr. Collum, where did your mind go to when this movie was over? What sort of other uh, titles did you start to think of? What's, what's a movie that you could point people towards if they came away from this movie and enjoyed it? Um, I think I mentioned it earlier, Edge of Seventeen. I thought uh, it's about land. that movie because I, th- I feel like that movie came and went and didn't make enough of an impression. No, but it was uh, it was similar in, in that it had its female protagonist at seventeen years of age, a similar similar kind of coming of age story with some really nice, just some sensitively handled uh, truths. Really, you know, um, she wasn't you know the, the, the lead character uh, played by. Haley Stanfield, and she was wonderful. She's not your, uh, you know, I don't know, perfect kind of perception of a girl, as it were, at seventeen. Uh, but she, she's got attitude. She's bolshy. She's, she's got opinion, but she's creative, um, and it, it's just great. And there's a great Hugh Jackman joke in in that one as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, another movie that was directed by a woman, another movie that has things to say about masculinity because we have, um, Woody Harrelson in that movie as as, as a really wonderful mentor. Um, Mm. you know, we were talking earlier about how there are nice guys and we realize that we're pretty shitty and that kind of thing. Um, there's, there's a lot of teachers out there that, uh, get it wrong when they're trying to get it right. And Woody Harrelson is a really wonderful um, embodiment of how you can be a mentor to somebody who's young and still try to get across to them without belittling them, without certainly without crossing any kind of lines of abuse. Um, Haley Steinfeld is another character. We should also say that this is a movie called The Edge of Seventeen, not Edge of Seventeen, which is a very, very different movie. Um, Nadine, really? Is, yeah, oh yeah. Nadine <laughs> is Haley Steinfeld's character's name, and this movie, by the way, was directed by uh, Kelly Freeman Craig. Um, she, yeah, Nadine is another character who's. <sighs> 
she's not a mess. I, I would never like that, that. That seems like a really, really harsh term, but she's she's just she's got a lot on her mind and she makes some good choices and some bad choices. She's complicated. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, so these are two movies that really tell stories about complicated teenagers and what they go through and how they try to make their way. Right. Yeah, but what I think is funny, I, I think with Edge of Seventeen, is like we all watched it and we were like, yeah, it's really great, but it's like, you know, it's a teenage film, so it's like it can only be so great and it's glossy and it's still your shiny film. It's got your Woody Harrelson, you know what I mean? It's got certain things about it which make it kind of not as good as Lady Bird for some reason. Lady Bird, it, it kind of in comparison, feels like it's just... No, 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 we're going to do it really, real, real. What you're discussing, actually, I think, like, I could have a whole show just comparing the two movies. And actually, mm. um, there's a podcast out there called A Frame Apart, which I actually really want them. Um, I'm, I'm going to suggest this as the show is over. I really want them to watch the two movies and compare them because I really feel like uh, Ariel and Bob will have a lot of great things, to, and, uh, an interesting thing to say about these two movies and their similarities and their differences. But The Avengers 17, it, at the end of the day, again, it's a really good movie um, that, that, that tells a story that we don't see very often. I went for something a little bit different uh, as a starter. I went for something very fanciful and i went back a few years to brave the pixar animated film that a lot of people like to make fun of no i mean you know what i watched it only recently i do think it's underrated it's a lovely film it's really good it it is but i i mean it's a movie that was really deceptive in its marketing because the entire crux of you know a person gets turned into a bear is really (laughs) really not sold when that movie was was put forward, so when certain people who were slightly more cynical sat down and watched that movie, and they thought they said, "Wait, this is what it's about," um, mm. came away from it. I, I I feel like the greater story got lost in, and this is why I think it's a good companion film to Lady Bird. The complicated relationships between mothers and daughters. We of course can't really speak knowledgeably on this subject. Um, you know, I, I feel like there are lots of podcasters who we could turn this over to. Uh, I, I would love, again, uh, you know, if I'm plugging shows, I would love to hear the women on Real Insight talk about sh- movies where the relationship between mothers and daughters are at the forefront. But in mm. Brave, mm. we see that. We see this push and pull of a mother and a daughter and how the mother wants more then the daughter may the, the mother the mother wants more for the daughter than she got the daughter feels like the mother doesn't get her and doesn't get what she wants and you get this tug of war happening in in this very very specific way that's unique to mothers and daughters mm, mm. no it's a really good comparison i think yeah well, thank you. Uh, what else you got in terms of movies that go would uh, be nice uh, companion movies for uh, lady bird um, I think about Sixteen Candles and Pretty in Pink. Really? Of course. How so? Yeah. Well, well with Sixteen Candles in particular, um, you've got that whole um, Molly Ringwald's dad is Harry Dean Stanton. Yeah. And he, he's kind of this working class figure. And that idea of her, her home life, you know, you get a sense of she's she's from the wrong side of the tracks. Um, so you get a sense of that, whereas obviously in Lady Bird, you know, you know, that's literally what she says. She's the wrong side of the track. So I think in that respect, you've got a, a hint of that in, in, in Lady Bird. And I do think uh, Molly Ringwald and Joe, as said, is interviewed, is an inspiration for her in, in some respects in this film. Um, so, yeah, I, I, th- th- I think that would be one which 
I felt there was a kind of see. Nudge. It's funny because I, I wager that Harry Dean Stanton in Pretty in Pink, um, that was probably a character that was working on some level of depression. You know, like of being out of work and being a single father. He probably had some things going on, but back in 1986, we didn't really talk about that kind of thing and certainly not for men yeah no absolutely you know however it's like i mean that's another one that i think would make a good comparison uh, as far as the two films watching and see how teenagers were portrayed and teenage life was portrayed from the 80s up till now because i mean don't get me wrong the kind of movie that pretty in pink is is still very much being made and marketed for teenagers but this is the difference between the two movies couldn't be more vast in terms of storytelling quality. Yeah, no, I, I, I appreciate it. I just think that kind of, that's the one thing which I always feel like we, we kind of just lost for a period, didn't we? Was that kind of more difficult, the, the class element to a story. Yeah. And I think in John Hughes, he does, he often makes that quite clear, you know, in some of his films, especially in Pretty in Pink. And that's something which, it, it does make things a little bit more real. And when we talk about Ladybird, obviously, it feels very real. I mean, kind of what you're describing there, um, we see it, for instance, in the houses. You know, Ladybird mm. and uh, and Pretty in Pink, their houses are like really, really working class houses. Small, cramped quarters, not really well uh, like decorated or designed. Um, you, you know, you would compare that with something like... Um, can't hardly wait or something like um she's all that or something like uh american pie where the houses are much more upper class they're actually the kind of houses that ladybird dreams of these yeah, really big magazine quality houses mm-hmm. you know whereas in reality a lot of us most of us certainly anybody listening to this show don't tend to have that kind of a house so to see that included in a movie it's a very very deft touch yeah no i think yeah you're right Look at that. John Hughes was a little bit more adept at things than I give him credit for. Um, (laughs) Another movie that I thought uh, would make good further reading after this um, is a movie from 2003. Um, I promise I'm really not trying on this trend. It just kind of all seems to be happening that way because both Brave uh, and the film I'm about to mention and Edge of Seventeen are all films directed by women. I've got one more. Um, Thirteen, directed by Catherine Hardwick. Um, the one that stars uh, Holly Hunter and Evan Rachel Wood. Again, it's a story of a teenage girl and her mother and, and their, you know, their, their kind of struggle, their back and forth. Thirteen, though, um, pulls everything in a much different direction. Thirteen, the, the, their relationship is full on volatile um in ladybird and certainly in pretty in pink and in age of 17 the relationship is very strained but at the end of the day it's still loving 13 is family dysfunction without any of the fun in dysfunction um and and it's a really really sharp and and just visceral script uh, have you ever seen this movie? No, I haven't. No, it sounds great. Yeah, it was it was actually up for um, best uh, best screenplay at the Oscars that year, and wow. it's it's got it's got a great cast to it. Holly Hunter is the mom. Evan Rachel Wood, Nikki Reed is in it. Uh, Jeremy Sisto, who I knew from um, 
six feet under. He he was the uh, the bipolar brother. Um, it was uh, Vanessa Hudgens is actually in this movie as well. Excuse me, and it's um it's one of these movies that actually kind of makes you uncomfortable to watch. Thirteen is actually set around the same time as Lady Bird as well. The the two movies are both uh, you know set around the turn of the century, and it's interesting to see the influence that culture and media has on on both of these girls um you know we we got to a point in history where there was a lot more information all of a sudden readily available and and all new ways to communicate and for some people like lady bird they got through it reasonably intact um the girls of 13 you know i i the, it's it's not it's not quite as pretty a picture for them and and it really makes you look long and hard about the way our, our teenagers are living their lives now i think it's exciting to think that i think that you know teenagers now are, are much more politically engaged uh are much more uh have much more of a voice you know and i think these films will hopefully begin a wave of films which are much more again it just it gives more credit to teenagers i think when you think about you know your american pies and your clueless it didn't it didn't give them as much credit they might be funny they might be a laugh but it didn't it kind of it kind of t- took the mickey out of being a teenager yeah where yeah. i think that you know ladybird and uh you know the films like 13 by the sounds of things they give a certain credibility to them absolutely and that they are real voices and they're real people and that's a really good Hopefully, we're seeing a turning point, and we're going to get a barrage of teenage films that are much more brutal and truthful and sincere and challenging. You know, um, mean, it, from it, from Hollywood in particular, because I, I think internationally we've we've seen that perhaps. Uh, you know, but like you know, even something like Call Me by Your Name. You know, again, that's a very you know new story for teenagers. You know. Yeah. Um, and again, but these are the stories we need to see. Um, Moonlight is obviously a third of that is when he's a teenager. And again, it's a story that teenagers need to see. When I was younger, we had American Pie and we had Road Trip and we had, you know what I mean? That was teenagers, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And and it didn't, and as fun as I may have found them, you know, if I had watched these films, I feel like I would have had a much better approach to things and maybe it might it would have shaped my character in a a more positive way well i'd actually turn that somewhat and say that these are movies that parents need to see as well because they are really painting a uh, an accurate and a complicated picture of what their teenagers are going through because there's that old saying of when i was your age it's like well no you were never my age because i'm my age in this age (laughs) and things are very different i i would I mean, shit, if I was a teenager when my parents were a teenager, I'd be messed up because it's it's not at all what I was what I'm like. And there would be limitations and there would be, you know, different expectations and there would be things that I just couldn't deal with. So nobody mm. is ever their age. But the, the, in, in putting these movies out there into the world, um, we're, we're telling the story of what it's like to be your well, age. But Lady Bird as well, in particular, obviously, is equally the mother's story as it is the daughter's. And so in that respect, it's really quite accessible. This is why I think it probably does 
a, a, you know go very well into the awards season because it's not exclusively about them but then of course that's the beauty of these all these stories is that you know it's not just about the teenager and life isn't about being a teenager and life is actually about how you bicker with your siblings and how you you know and, and those relationships with those parents that can be incredibly fractured um kyle turner didn't he talk about how it brought him to his it get, got him to call his mother Mm-hmm. The Ladybird film. So you kind of think, oh, you know what I mean? It, it's making people, uh, you know, re, you know, see the bigger picture, and that exactly. that's a, that's that we need to see that life is complicated. You know, it's not something we can simplify, and and that's a good thing. Yeah. At the end of the day, that's what I I love about Ladybird and about a lot of these movies that that we're talking about is they are what Roger Ebert would call machines for empathy and make you empathetic to. The people in your life, uh, you know, whether it was somebody who you grew up with or somebody who you are still growing up with or your family or your children, your parents, these movies really put you into their shoes for even five minutes and see the story from their side. So that that's really, I think, why I'm happy that these movies exist and why Lady Bird is getting so much attention. Yeah, and we have to get out and, and as a society... Um, and as a white male, male as well, you know what I mean. We have to get over the fact it's not about us. You know oh, what yeah. I mean. And it's a it's a story that we need to watch. We need to watch. Yes, we can relate to elements of it, but sometimes we might not relate to it. But it's interesting to know that side which we maybe never knew before. And this is important too. You know, um, Ladybird in that respect. And Matt, you can imagine a seventeen-year-old girl watching it with her dad, yeah. who might never have considered all these things which are shown, uh, and you know, and that relationship with the mum, and, and so on and so forth. So. You know, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, the more diverse films are, the more access we have to them, the more stimulating conversation conversations are. Everything uh, hopefully will change. You know, it's a it's an exciting period. Well said, sir. And on that note, that is episode 188 of the Matinee Cast. I'd like to thank Simon Collin for dropping by. Come on back on Monday, December 18th for episode 189. Just before we get out of this year, we will be discussing the Last Jedi. Uh, Simon, uh, can... What, uh, what, uh, Ryan, what is The Last Jedi? I've never... Is that... <laughs> it's this really small, micro-budget uh, movie. It's another family lovely. story. I, I hear oh. they're, uh, you know, they, they, they're, they're refugees. They're moving really? around from home to home. <laughs> Jeez, this is challenging stuff. I'm challenging going real stuff. niche. I, you know, you might not I might about hunt it down, Ryan. I might try and watch that one. <laughs> Uh, Simon can be found. Hopefully there'll be a cinema screening it. That's what I'm hoping. Fingers yeah. crossed. Will it be in London? Who knows? It might, might just be you might have to watch it on your phone. Um, <laughs> Simon can be found at Culture Fly on the Wall. What are you guys going to be talking about in the in the days and weeks to come? Oh, I, I just went to the Modigliani exhibition at the Tate Modern, uh, and that was really great. So that's definitely going to be something we'll be talking uh, about very soon. Very nice. Uh, and if people want to follow you on Twitter, where can they find you? at Screen Insights or just type in Simon Collin that's nice. that works is, is, there a, is there a Twitter feed for the show? Uh, no no there's not oh, okay. yeah should yeah. I have one? I don't know uh, you know what I, I think you should because then you can also use it to uh, kind of capture share ideas as you're going through these things you know what I'm saying? so like if, mm-hmm. you, if you had it while you were at the Modigliani and you're taking a break and having a coffee you can put an idea out there into the world or take a picture or something like that yeah oh that's true i could literally capture things as i even if i don't visit them i could like oh look that exhibition's on that looks awesome even though we might not go to it or something yeah i I would use it judiciously because then you're in you're you're trying to find the balance between 
experiencing these things and tweeting about the experience. You, know, you guys can both do it, so it'll be kind of cool to see you guys yeah, both that'd be using good it and, and the different reactions. Um, no. my, my site, of course, is thematinee.ca. For more audio content, you can find back episodes by going to thematinee.ca slash podcasting. You can also find them on Stitcher Radio, Google Play. You're welcome, Paulo. Uh, Blueberry, Apple's podcast app, and the iTunes Store. Everything gives you handy ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop. Feedback on Lady Bird or any of the films we mentioned for the other side can be left in the comment section of the website. You can email me, ryan at thematinee.ca, Twitter, where I'm matinee underscore ca, or facebook.com slash darkmatinee. Any final thoughts, my friend? No, just make sure you see Ladybird. I'm glad it's Ladybird being yeah. so positive and then Kingsman being so negative. See, I'm not just, you know, <laughs> we're, not we're getting yeah, negative. we're getting two sides here. It's it's, it's great. Yeah. I, I do try to do that, you know, like I'm going to have to get you back on for something you hate next. Oh. <laughs> they're always not, fun to I, talk I, I don't want to watch them. I don't want to watch a rubbish if I know it's if I know before hey, I listen, go. Man, that, that as as much as I try to fight it, something always comes along that I I have really high ex- high hopes for but just completely misses the mark and I need to talk it through. I need to get it out of my system because I, I was oh, yeah. just caught so unawares. Kingsman was that for me on your podcast was there me go. going, now <laughs> I can say what I feel. And on that note, <laughs> for Simon Column, I'm Ryan McNeil. We'll see you at the night now.